And when you start not paying attention to the little things like that, that don't matter, you start to find more joy in your life. You know, when I need gasoline, like when I see people complaining about the price of gas, that is such a small problem compared to what's going on in the rest of the world. You need to quit feeling that anxiety and that stress about shaving pennies and just go learn how to earn more money, man. So you gotta be more focused on things that you want rather than the things you don't want. Cause when you start to focus on the things you don't want, you get more of that. Yo, what's up ladies and G's? Listen, I'm super excited about today's episode, but before we dive into it, I just wanna give a big shout out for those who just been rocking with me since day one. I appreciate each and every one of you. And listen, if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, I just wanna say thank you so much for hitting that play button because first off, you didn't have to do it, but you did. And so we're gonna make the most of it. In this podcast, this is where we level up. This is where we gain the knowledge from those who have it and take it and apply it into our personal lives. So listen, I got a very, very special guest. I mean, this guest is known as the side hustle millionaire. So best believe we're gonna be talking about how to capitalize and make money in 2021 through side hustle, right? And to actually learn what steps to take in order to make that happen for you. This is going to be a great episode. I got my guy, Tony Watley, on here. He's an amazing man. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about him. And as the episode goes on, it will mean the world to me. For each and every one of you that's tuning in, uh, to go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review. Tap in. Let us know what you thought about the episode, if you truly enjoyed it. And listen, if you want to go a step further, feel free. Feel free to go ahead and screenshot your favorite part, something that stood out to you, something that helped change your perspective, something that brought value to you and helped you along your journey. And go ahead and tag me on Instagram at DeAndre underscore Evans. That's D-A-N-D-R-E underscore E-V-A-N-S. And I'll be happy to repost and shout you guys out. So uh, listen, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to do what we do best here on this podcast, which is level up. So let's get it. Are you ready? Level Up Daily, the hottest podcast for self-growth with interviews from the hottest celebrities. Tola, level me up. Tola, level me up. Yeah. Now, your host, DeAndre Evans. Tola, level me up. Tola, level me up. Yeah. It's time to level up. Now level up. Yo, what's going on, ladies and G's? Much love to those returning and shout out for those tuning in for the first time. I'm your host, DeAndre Evans, and today I have a very special episode with a very special guest that I know a lot of you are going to love. Uh, I had the chance to get on their show as well, so we got a nice collaboration going. Uh, we met through an app called Clubhouse, which we'll probably talk about soon, but uh, I want to properly introduce this gentleman here. He's amazing. Um, you know, he's a serial entrepreneur, business consultant, and startup mentor. Uh, he has led a dual career for over 20 years in two distinct industries. I'm talking oil and gas and automotive performance, while performing a professional career in engineering and project management. He still found time, though, to create and operate a successful, not just one, not just two, maybe, right, side businesses. But he's best known as the co-founder of LS1 Tech a massive automotive enthusiast community, which grew into one of the largest of its kind. I mean, this website honestly grew well over to what, 100,000 unique visitors per day and has had well over 300,000 registered members and was later sold for millions of dollars. Uh, you may have seen his works published, you know, in numerous magazines and books. He's a proven leader and genuinely he cares about helping others level up as well. And today he's here to share his journey with us. I have none other than my guy, Tony Watley. What's going on, man? How are you feeling? 
Hey, DeAndre, man, it's going to be fun. This is part two of our conversation, and uh, I can't wait to give some value to your audience and get to know them. Right on, right on, man. Well, listen, this Friday, right? So I like to do like a flashback Friday type of thing. And uh, what that means is I usually open up the floor to my guest and tell us about your backstory, how you got started in the business industry. Wow. I think that entrepreneurship as a phrase became really popular probably in the last five years, let's be honest. Before that, we just said business owner or self-employed. And when you said entrepreneur 10 years ago, people looked at you funny. They thought you were French. <laughs> so right. now, nowadays, I think about, you know, people are like, when do you know you were an entrepreneur? Well, I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I just, I was broke. And so for me, it was just a way to get money. So even as a kid, I was knocking on doors and mowing yards and washing dogs and washing cars and sweeping and raking leaves and whatever I could to make money. I and mean, that's really how I bought my skateboards and video games and BMX bikes. And I had two hardworking parents, blue collar. My mom was a public school cafeteria worker her whole career. My dad worked in construction after he got out of the military. And so I got to see the value of hard work, but also understood that hard work doesn't make a lot of money. You know, we had all had that six figure dream growing up lower middle class and literally the wealthiest air quotes person in my family was my uncle Hollis. And I thought he was wealthy because he had the biggest home, the house trailer, you know, and, and, and the funny thing is I didn't even know it was a house trailer until later on in life when my mom told me because he had built a facade on the front of his trailer to make it look like a house from the front from the street. So it kind of shows you perceptions are a little bit skewed in, in the way we grow up in our society and the people that raise us and the mindsets and the limited beliefs. But, you know, luckily I was able to kind of climb out all that, but it was not without failures and understanding, you know, things that you had to go through to learn. But yeah, that's me, dude. I, I started the company in 2001. I actually sold that one in 2007 and have gotten into real estate and doing other things now since then and opened an online retail business. And so I built a few seven figure companies and I helped other friends build seven and eight figure companies. And they always told me, you should be doing this full time. But I had this career, you know, engineering, oil and gas, and I, I, bought, I paid for my own college. So I didn't want to air quotes, waste my degree. And I, once you get 10 plus years experience, you think about, I don't want to waste my experience. So that really kept me in the oil and gas industry over 20 years because I started to get where I was really highly paid and doing things and getting to play with hundreds of millions of dollars on these major projects that I was managing. But I was always building car related businesses because cars are my real passion. So now I've left the corporate world as of 2015 to be more focused on serving more people by teaching them business principles and confidence. So that's what I do nowadays. Wow, man, that's that's amazing. I'm just listening and digesting all of that. I know my audience is like, I need to go follow this guy like right now. <laughs> that's perfect, man. Well, listen, before we really dive into to everything, I do want to just ask on a personal level, uh, especially during this time, right? It's COVID, things are going a little different than normal, right? And mm -hmm. so I would love to ask, just to get your take on this, you know, like what have you learned about yourself during this time of COVID? I think for COVID, me being a leader of massive communities, and when I've got one that's entrepreneurship focused, we've got close to 4,000 combined in that community alone. And I realized that there's a lot of struggle going on out there, especially with small businesses being shut down unfairly by the government and doing things beyond you know their control. But it was also important for me to be that spokesman, that leader for them, the advocate for those small businesses to understand that they don't have to settle for what's being handed to them and that we could pivot and you know, restructure, do things, be more creative. 
because I saw a lot of decline in 2020 from the people that you would perceive as leaders or successful or influential people out there where they went into hiding because they didn't know how to handle crisis. Fortunate for, for me, I've been through a, several crises in industry and in personal, and I understand that you had to weather the storm and there's always going to be a sunny day at the end of this, but I had to make sure that I kept the hope alive with my communities and encourage them and empower them to take more chances and take more risks to do things to survive because that's the worst thing I think about being an employee for that long is I've gone through three industry downturns where I was basically laid off from my career. And at those moments, you get to realize that it's, it's not something you can control. It's out of your control. When your boss comes up and says, hey, today's your last day. You'll get your check in two weeks in the mail. You don't have a lot of control. You can't, well, you can't say, well, I have all these other talents. Let me try to make you money in other ways. Let me try to teach you the skills I have and maybe we can make money in this way or do that. They don't care because their business model are so set in stone. They just kind of have to shut down for financial reasons. Well, as an entrepreneur, all I really need is a way to get paid, which could be a PayPal account or Stripe account an LLC, which I can report my income for the taxes and in a brand that I can just go do something. And if you have a team or you're a solo entrepreneur, you can pivot and you can go, you know what? I got another skill I can monetize. Maybe I can go write copy. Maybe I can go edit podcasts. Maybe I could become a speaker. Maybe I could write a book. You can be as creative as you want. And it's what I love is that you're back in control of your entire situation, your financial life, where you don't have that as an employee. So that's one of the things I talk about being empowered and having the confidence as an employee, I carried a parachute essentially around any time that I could deploy. If I had a boss that was being an asshole or being passive aggressive or trying to get me to do things they wouldn't even do themselves, I had a parachute which was earning more than my profession that I could be like, well, yeah, I don't really jive with that. So I think I'm going to take a, take a hike. I'll just go ahead and leave this one. And they knew I had that level of confidence that they couldn't mess with me. So they actually treated with me, me with more respect and actually, and I climbed through the ranks a lot faster than other people because I had the confidence. Mm, wow. And, and dang, man, you got me thinking about 50,000 things. And so I would love to talk about, you know, that confidence factor. Like how did that, you know, come about for you? That How did the momentum build? Did it start as a young child over time? Did your parents like instill that? Or did you kind of figure it out on your own? Like what, what was that? I think like most entrepreneurs, we have authority issues, Right. I know that nobody likes to be told what to do, but some people just take it and they just say yes. And they do whatever is told they're told to do. Most of the successful people I knew, we don't like being told what to do. And we actually challenge authority unless that authority has proven and earned our respect, right? Because then we consider them a mentor rather than a boss. And for me, I've always been a someone that pushes really hard to try to do more than I was, you know, people thought I was capable of. I've always been that way. So whether it was getting good grades in school or, you know, being told that, no, you'll never make it through engineering school with a full-time job. Nobody does that. It's, I did that. I worked construction and I worked as a waiter in restaurants, but I still found time to go to school and finish. And it, and it took me seven years, but I wasn't going to quit and I never changed majors and I just stuck it through. So I understand that if I can just stick things through, I'm going to outlast the competition because we all know that the top 10% are just the people that didn't quit. That's really all it is. So if I can just show up every single day based on the name of my brand, 365 Driven, put in some effort to move towards my goals, I'm going to outlast people. And as soon as 80% of the people quit because they don't believe in themselves or have that drive, that means I have fewer people to compete with at the top. And once I understand that, man, I can get a hold ahead of 80% of people just by sticking to this thing. That's the easiest thing there is to do. You just got to show up 
And most people don't understand that kind of thing. So the confidence, like you mentioned, is about how to keep promises to yourself and then actually deliver those results. So I'll say that one of my earliest managers back when I was a McDonald's employee back in, in high school, he used to have a real simple phrase. I don't know who the phrase originally came from, but he said, hey, say what you do and do what you say. If you can do that, you'll win at life. And I'm taking advice like a philosophical person from a McDonald's manager, but you know, it stuck with me. Do what you say and say what you do. It's if, if you can think about that, there's so many people that don't follow through and they make these false commitments and they start to really, it starts to eat at you because you know, you're not getting the results and you're letting yourself down. You're not showing up. And that's where the confidence comes from is when you keep promises to yourself and other people. And I'll tell you, like you've mentioned clubhouse. Let me give you a good example of this. Okay. Cause we're in those same rooms. We're speaking on the same stages, entrepreneurial focus. We're answering questions. And the last, I guess we're going on four weeks now on that app. I've had four people that scheduled on my calendar that needed my help, that wanted some advice on coaching. They scheduled 30 minute slots. I wasn't charging them anything. They no showed me, no showed me. And you're wondering why those people were struggling. Wow. You're going to take someone that charges what I charge per hour. That I was just trying to help them, not pitch them. And they don't even show up guys. If you're not showing up to something you scheduled that you committed to, you're not showing up in a lot of areas of life and you're not going to get the results. And I hope that if someone's listening to this and that's you, you wake the fuck up. Facts. Bar drop. I need like the bomb thing, like on Brad's show. I, like yeah. the bomb. I need some sound effects, right? <laughs> Man, I love that. And that's totally true. Like a lot of people don't show up and they, they do wonder why they don't get the results that they try to aim and hit. And I'm like, man, you really got to be consistent. And they like, it's so tough. And I'm like, why, why is it, you know, so tough? Like if you set a goal and say, man, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an astronaut. You want to be whatever it is, right? And you're going off on your pursuit. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm tired today. You know, I don't, I don't feel like it. I'm like, eh. and it's, it's like, that's really, uh, you know, the term of procrastination in a way. And it really goes in the role of uh, stopping your momentum because momentum go in two ways, right? It can go up or it can go down. So a lot of people tend to take the down part, sadly, because a lot of people are not reaching their goal. So I, I love that insight that you provided. Definitely. And I hope a lot of people are taking some copious notes because Tony, Tony knows his shit, y'all. <laughs> listen, listen. So I want to uh, dive into uh, your, your company uh, that you co-founded, uh, LS1 Tech, uh, with, with your team. I would love to know more about that. I'm sure the audience would love to know more about it, especially how you grew pretty much a website, right? A, a platform where it's like 100,000 people, 300,000 people on there registered using the platform. How did that come about exactly? And, and what was the challenges behind that? I think the important thing to start off with is understanding that when I started that business, I didn't plan on becoming a multimillionaire, first of all. And I think a lot of people think that if they're going to go start a business, they got to have this million dollar idea. That wasn't what this business was. And it's important to understand that because I don't want people to be, you know, really just turned away by thinking, well, I don't have a million dollar idea, therefore I shouldn't start. So if you're listening, an idea is an idea, but you got to start and you're going to start to understand that. There's no perfect time to start. There's never a right moment to start. There's never a, you know, let me get, let me get prepared and get a little bit better before I start. Just start, just start. And my goal when I initially started LS1 Tech was to make $500 a month. And the reason I say that is because that was the car note of the Trans Am I'd bought myself from graduating college. You know, I rewarded myself and I said, you know what, DeAndre, if I had a free car because I built this website, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Cause I thought I was a big boy, man. I had a degree. 
at a $45,000 entry level salary. So I felt like I was, I was better than hourly anymore. You know, I'm, I'm done with the hourly pay. I'm just got a salary now. I'm a, I'm a real man. That's how I kind of felt because I grew up broke, right? I just thought that's what it was. You know, here's a shocker alert. You know, your salary is still based on an hourly basis in the payroll system. They just break it down and they multiply. And actually you probably make less per hour than an hourly person because you work more hours. So bursting that bubble right there, that's a fallacy. So here I'm thinking, well, I'm gonna start this business and make $500 a month. I just wanted to build a cool place for my car friends to hang out online and talk about racing and building cars, you know, specifically the General Motors cars. So Camaros, Corvettes, Firebirds, Cadillacs, anything with the LS1 V8 engine in it, which was you know, started in 1997 and they still had, they built them all the way into the 2000s. But it was a cool place to hang out and we said, okay, well, we know some advertisers of performance shops and people that manufacture parts. You know, we've got a group here. Why don't we go reach out to them? So we just email them. We go by the car magazines and find their contact information. We call them or email them and ask them if they're interested in advertising. And we were selling ads at a fraction of the price of the magazine. So we knew they had a budget. And magazines at that time, a, a high circulation automotive magazine, about 5000 a month for a page ad. We're like, hey, what if we charge you $125? And they're like, that's a no brainer. Yeah, let's, let's come in on that. Well, as the site started to grow, our rate started to increase. I think we we're charging somewhere around six, $700 a month when we started to raise and we had over 150 advertisers. So when you do the math, it scaled like really big. But the funny thing is we didn't know what an LLC was. We didn't know really much anything. We just had a, a domain name. I knew a little bit about branding from just studying it and those kind of things. And even our logo changed the first three years, like each year we just came up with a different logo and I started to simplify things because I was learning more about branding. And the thing is that we didn't even go create an LLC or a separate checking account till we're probably like six, seven months in. By that time we we're making $10,000 extra per month. And we're like, oh, this is like a business or something. This isn't a hobby anymore. So we actually started treating it like a business. And that's where most people fail is they start these side businesses, these side hustles like my book title. And they think it's a hobby. So they treat it like a hobby and they build a hobby looking crappy website and they do a hobby level crappy branding and they get a hobby looking crappy domain name with hyphens and underscores and crap in it. And they get hobby looking business cards and they, you know, they build bullshit little projects that don't know products and that don't make any money. And then they go, man, how come I'm not making any money? How come this isn't working? It's because here's the thing, the market, the people out there buying stuff, they don't give a shit whether this is day one or day 1000 of your business. You have to play at the same level. So you got to create the perception that you're bigger than you are, even if you're not. You may be just sitting there in your boxer shorts on your computer, building an e-commerce platform. And that might be looking like a major empire on the outside, but that's what people are shopping for. They want to make sure it looks legit. So I always say, hey, go spend some money. Or if you don't have money, go learn how to do it at a high level. And that's what you do. If you don't have time, you better have money. If you better, if you don't, if you don't have money, you better have time. There's only two things you can do. There's you can compress the time with money, but dude, you got to go out there and start things at a high level. So that thing grew and grew and grew, and it just started to roll. And we did a lot of things creatively to build the community by giving, doing giveaways and offers and things like that. And it just grew. We we grew it without spending any ads, and basically we became the media because as I started to get hundreds of thousands of people in my network, and I was a leader. I had the same VIP credentials as, as auto, you know, all these automotive magazines. I was there off the unveils and, you know, all the media and the press. I got to do that because I understand if I build larger communities and big brands, it's bigger than me. 
it's not about me. It's me and the hundreds of thousands of people I represent now that I'm coming to the table with. Man, Tony, you, you're amazing, dude. You're, <laughs> you're amazing. Side hustle millionaire. I, I see you You dropped it in there. I was definitely going to bring it up about your book because I did get a chance to overview it really quick. And I would love to dive into that. Um, but my next question that I think would really be great for the audience, um, especially just given your success and overall just building this empire and becoming one of the biggest and, you know, your space, like when did that financial literacy kick in for you? Did it happen once everything went left and you was like, oh, I got to bounce back? Or did it happen as you were building or did you have to seek coaching? Like what, what happened? Dude, I, I grew up not understanding a lot about money other than it, it used it to trade to buy things, right? My mom and dad were big savers. And I'll tell you that this is a good limiting belief that I think people aren't aware of. Every Sunday morning when the Sunday paper would come in, I would sit at the table with my mom and we'd clip coupons. You know, we'd clip all the coupons. We'd spend probably two, three hours a weekend doing that, my sister and I and her. And she would put them in her little accordion-shaped divider thing by alphabet, so all the brands. And we would go to the grocery store and she would set that accordion thing in the shopping cart in the, in the kid's seat. And it was kind of embarrassing, to be honest. You know, mom coming around the store with coupons. But that's how she was raised and that's how she understood. And... I remember we would drive by two or three gas stations to go to the one that's further down the road because it was like a couple cents less per gallon. And I remember going to the restaurants and we could, you know, my sister and we can only drink one Coke because back then you didn't get free refills. You know, it was like all these little cutting corner things because we didn't have money. And even I only took one flight between ages, you know, one through 22, one flight because my parents thought that's what rich people did was waste, waste money on airplanes. So anytime we did you know, road trips, with our, we do a summer road trip every year and that was our vacation, right? So I grew up with a scarcity mindset without even understanding that. And somewhere around the way, I started making money, I started challenging myself. It's like, man, I'm just gonna go to the restaurant and order what I want, not look at the prices. Cause for a long time, probably into my mid twenties, to be honest, maybe even my late twenties, I would still go to the restaurant and I would run my finger down the pricing column to find things that I thought I could afford, even though I could afford everything on there. I'm not talking about fine dining here. I'm talking about $20 plates and less, right? Yeah. But but instead of looking at the prices, I would look at the, at the descriptions and go, what do I want to eat? Mm-hmm. And when you start not paying attention to the little things like that that don't matter, you start to find more joy in your life. You know, when I need gasoline, like when I see people complaining about the price of gas or the price of milk, I'm like, dude, you're, that is such a small problem compared to what's going on in the rest of the world. You need to quit feeling that anxiety and that stress about shaving pennies and just go learn how to earn more money, man. That's the thing. Like go learn how to earn more and you'll never have to look at gas prices. I don't care if the gas was $5 a gallon. I need gas. That's what it is. I'm just going to still pluck that thing in the side of my vehicle and fill it up. So you got to be more focused on things that you want rather than the things you don't want. Cause when you start to focus on the things you don't want, you get more of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so dude, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole mindset shift of just, just getting out there, the book, everything. I mean, the first two chapters of the book you mentioned are, are on mindset and just trying to conquer the excuses. And what are some, what are some comic excuses you heard, Dondre, about starting, starting businesses? Uh, you know, they'd be like, it's going to cost too much, you know, or, I don't know because someone else tried it and I don't think it's going to work for me type of thing. You know, it's, it's a lot of excuses that come up left and right. And I know, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. Or no time. Yeah, exactly. Kids. Right. Or my husband Family. or my wife says School, I can't do it. Right. Everything. So 
So here, here's the thing about excuses. This is, this is a good conversation. Excuses are based on the people you hang around with, right? Mm-hmm. When you say, hey, DeAndre, you should start a business. You're really good at that. And you go, oh man, I don't have time. When you hang around with the people who aspire to be average, they know that that is a stop conversation indicator. That means like, if I tell you as a fellow average aspiring person that I don't have time, you're supposed to end that conversation and just nod your head and go, yeah, me, man, me either. So what happens is average people volley these excuses back and forth to self-justify where they're at or where they're not at because they don't want to go deeper on that level. Now, when you find someone that's driven like myself or DeAndre and you go, hey, I don't have time. What we say is like, oh, yeah, pull out your calendar. And they're like, what? Yeah, show me on your phone. You got a phone. Don't you got a cell phone? I get a smartphone. Yeah, we all have a smartphone. Well, there's a calendar app in there. Let me see what your calendar looks like. And now they're like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have a calendar. I just go to, I go to work. I go to work. I'm gone from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And that's my life. I get home and I eat dinner and, you know, and that, that's okay. So when you get home at, you know, 6 p.m. and eat dinner, that's 7 p.m. What are you doing from 7.30 till midnight? Well, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm, you know, surfing Facebook or Instagram or hanging out on Clubhouse or watching Netflix with my girl. <laughs> it's like, dude. Every successful person, take note, every successful person lives their daily life with a calendar. And it could be as simple as your Outlook calendar if you've got a Hotmail or Live account or a Gmail calendar, which is free if you have your Gmail Hotmail. We all have one. Your phone, whether it's Apple or Android, has a built-in calendar app. And it's always in your pocket or in your purse. You need to start scheduling every single hour of your day. And then once things become a habit, they can come off of your calendar. Like, for example, fitness. I work out six days a week. I usually take Sundays off as a recovery day and just to relax and focus on what I'm going to be doing for the next week. But when that became a habit, I didn't have to put it on my calendar. I just fit it in because I have a very dynamic schedule that I built by my on purpose. So sometimes, sometimes I'll go to the gym in the evening. Sometimes I'll go first thing in the morning. I don't have it set on my calendar anymore, but I know I'm going to go because of discipline. But most people don't understand that. You have to book your social times and whatever that means something to you, you got to prioritize and do this. For example, like me writing a book. Okay. That's a, that's a long commitment. It took me four months in order for you to write a book in four months, which is actually pretty fast. Most people take a year. You have to guard the time on your calendar. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you block out these times, like one hour increments, maybe every day or every other day, whatever you're comfortable with and say, I'm going to spend this time getting creative zone. And I'm going to write my book, maybe a half a chapter here. Maybe it's the thousand words or whatever you want to talk about, how you want to measure that. And then when another, when other some distraction comes into your life or another opportunity comes into your life, they, you know, DeAndre calls it, Hey man, you know, we're going to go out to dinner on Thursday night. You want to come and you need to look at your calendar and go, okay, what time are you going to do this? DeAndre? Oh man, eight o'clock. Okay. Let me look on the calendar. Well, oh, man, I got to write my book from eight to nine. I already have that on my calendar. So in that moment, what you have to weigh is which is more important? Is it, is, is it building that connection, hanging out with my friends, or is it writing that book, which could create an entire trajectory springboard for my entire career? And I'll tell you, I, I canceled a lot of birthdays and, and things like that and social gatherings in that first four months because I was hyper-focused that this could potentially change my career, the significance of that value. And I said no to a lot of things because every time we say yes to someone else, we're saying no to ourselves. And it's okay to be selfish in these moments because you have to weigh your priorities on every decision, not just all these different things. And dude, a calendar makes your life easier. It sounds like a pain in the ass, but it actually makes your life easier because you don't have to remember things anymore. You just put it on there 
And you wake up and you go, what am I doing today? Oh yeah. I can't wait to do that. Oh, I don't have, that was going to be tough some work. Yeah. Yeah. I get, so you don't have to remember. Most people are stressed out and anxious because they're trying to remember too much shit. Right. Right on. I totally agree. 1000%. Everything that you said, I'll be like, check, check, check. I use a calendar every single day. That was one of the first things I had to learn. Honestly, uh, when I became an entrepreneur, right? Like stepping into my journey. Cause I used to work a nine to five job. I used to work at like mm -hmm. this nursing home area and uh, I was in the back in the kitchen, you know, they put all the ugly people in the back. Right. <laughs> so I'm back there doing dishes, whatever. And I just knew for me, I was like, man, this, this can't be my life. I got to figure this thing out. And so over time I started building skills. Like you said, I started working on my craft and I started to uh, get into web development. So I started designing websites and I was like, man, this is going to be a pretty cool thing later down the line. Right. And so uh, me just building, you know, the brand, the name and everything I got out there. I was like, okay, I used to have a schedule at my job. I used to wake up at like five o'clock and, you know, I get to work at six. Right. And I get off at two. And I was like, well, from two to, like you say, till midnight, you know, I had a whole free schedule. But when I did decide to transition out of my job, I was like, man, I need to schedule. I need some structure. I didn't have any structure at first. And I was just like freestyling every day. And I saw like results was looking kind of shady, kind of like mm -hmm. spotty. And I was like, something's off. And I'm glad you said that because that is the main thing. So I set alarms, like my alarm just went off sadly, right? <laughs> During yeah. the, so that's just a fact. Like I really do use my, my, my uh, resources, like my clock, my calendar, everything. Because uh, it's, it's essential to the business. So I totally understand and relate to it for sure. Dude, even my wife has to be on my calendar. Even my kid, today's his birthday and we're going to go have dinner. It's on my calendar, you oh, know? And, and the thing is, is once you start to create those boundaries and control of your life, other people will respect those boundaries. And if they don't, they're not really your friends, right? So there's no, mo there's no more of this people like, hey, can I give you a call? Like, no, I'll send you my Calendly link and you can schedule a call. And I, I am that disciplinary. Now, if I have free time and it's an emergency, yeah, I'll drop what I need to do and go help some friends. But Otherwise, I schedule everything and I schedule social time and family time. And it's important to keep your sanity. Most people are dealing with these mental issues and, you know, all these things are going on right now. It's because they don't have any control over their lives. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to you got to create some structure and a foundation that's really going to help you catapult within your brand, your personal life, anything. So I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. and, and I really want to get into, you know, a little bit about your book, like how did, you know, the side hustle millionaire become about like how did Tony Wiley become the side hustle millionaire because that's what you're known as right and I hear Natalie Jill a good friend of mine I heard her mention it before and I was like yeah that sounds pretty cool that's a cool name to go by so how did that, that really spark for you and uh, how did that book really come about for you so I'm going to tell you a funny story about the title of that book okay. you know I actually wrote the manuscript with the title of the hustle or the hustle something version of that okay. because I used to be a competitive nine ball billiards champion player like in college right. and my online screen name throughout all the automotive forms was nine ball right <laughs> so everybody in my automotive space knows me as nine ball and i played pool so it was kind of like the hustle is a cliche double meaning play on words right and so I'm, I'm writing this book and i'm giving a chapter to a time at my to my editor you know mike and mike's reading it and he's like man this book's gonna be really good i'm like thanks man and he's like he goes, you know, so he's like, he goes, I think it's going to sell really well because he's helped a lot of people become bestsellers. There's a process and marketing and all these different things to do that. It's not really a lot of luck. And so <laughs> he's like, he goes, we got to talk about this title, man, the hustle. I'm like, man, I explained it just like I explained to you. And I was like, all jazzed up about it. He's like, nah, it still sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it's like, oh, well, tell me what you think it should be, Mike. Tell me what you think. Mike's like, well, you're the side hustle millionaire. And I'm like, 
I don't know, man, because one, I've never been like perceived myself as arrogant or better than other people. And the whole millionaire phrase, it's buzzworthy and, and people hear it and they either have a, a positive reaction to it or an adverse reaction to it. It almost sounds like you're bragging or, you know, all these different negatives thing. And I kind of felt that way, you know, cause you know, I made a couple million dollars, but I didn't feel like I was popping bottles and flying on jets. I mean, you got to make 10 plus million to go do something like that. Most people don't realize that like you need to really make like 5 million before you really start to feel rich. Right. So you have a really comfortable life. I'm not going to take that away, but it's not the same as it was, you know, 20 years ago saying the same thing, but you know, the side hustle, I get that part, you know, the millionaire. And I was like, you know, it still didn't sit well with me, but what happened is like, say, okay, I'm going to trust you, dude. Cause you're the book guy, but let me think on, I'm going to sleep on this. And when I wake up, I'll have a decision. So when I woke up, I said, you know, side hustle millionaire, side hustle millionaire. It's like, it's like, he's right, dude. Like what are, what are the haters going to laugh at out of those two words? Did you not, or did you become a millionaire or multi-millionaire from a business that you created on the side? It's like, yeah, I did. So what part of that title is false, right? Right. I'm using logic here against myself. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, they're both true. So I said, okay, so, so the problem isn't the title. It's me. It's me. I'm not the right person to be able to go carry this message boldly. Cause that's a bold title and it grabs attention especially on a bookshelf when you see it against all these other ones, like how to make five, you know, it's like, right, right. you know, I want to make side hustle millionaire. I don't want to like just make $500 a month thing. So I had to become the right person to carry that and step into my story. Right. So I invested in a speaking coach and I joined Toastmasters and I did videos every single day to get better at my message because actually I wrote that book. And here's the thing I started to really admit recently in the recent months, as I wrote that book, somewhat of like as a, as a cowardly way. And I say that with all, in, uh, like all intentions, a cowardly way to get your message out there without having to be known. Cause there are literally New York times bestsellers out there that you, they could walk right by you and you wouldn't recognize them. So it's a, a, being an author is a good way to be influential without being famous. And I lived my entire life hiding in the shadows and not wanting to be in front of cameras. And I had stage fright and I didn't like videos or my recorded voice, all those things, everything that people have, I had. And so it wasn't when you go, Hey, side hustle millionaire, that's like a bold character name. I said, I need to become the right person to carry that message. So I invested heavily in myself and I became that. So now I can say it with confidence because I have become that. And that's how I get introduced now. So yeah, it's a cool story on the book. Yeah, no, I love that, man. That's dope. Side hustle millionaire. Shout out to your guy too, for the name. Yeah. <laughs> it's fire. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, so I would love to ask, cause I'm pretty sure a lot of people right now tuning in are already probably trying to stalk your Instagram somewhere. Um, but what are some, um, let's give us one or two actionable steps, especially now in 2021, right? Uh, you know, as far as terms of creating a side hustle, like what would be a great step to start off? Which, what direction should I lean towards? Any recommendations as a newbie? Uh, looking to get into the space of entrepreneurship or just create, like you say, extra $500, $1,000 a month? I think that for me, I've always favored online businesses. Although I've got clients that are seven, eight figure business owners, some of them are brick and mortar locations and some are products and some are manufacturing. I have all different industries covered. I, I really like online businesses. And the main reason is that your customer base becomes the world versus your zip code. And so when I think about scalability, it's like, how can I impact or sell something to as many people as possible? Even if it's a low dollar value, that's how, that's how it scales. You can either sell a very few expensive things 
or a whole lot of inexpensive things that come to the same finish line, the exact same target, right? right. And so I've done both of those, but I, I like to say, how can I sell expensive things online? Now I'm doing both. Like I want to sell expensive things, maybe at a lower volume because that, that requires less work. And I'll give you an example of that. You know, one of my businesses, I sell high-end forged wheels for cars, like custom-made CNC machine forged wheels. I've had that business as a vertical from 2003. It was a spinoff from my automotive community, right? There wasn't a vendor selling wheels. Like, well, I'll just go start a business to sell wheels too, because I got the audience here, right? And so when they when I sold the company, they weren't interested in the retail side. So I got to keep that part. I just changed the name. And early on, I was like, man, I'm just going to be this wheel king. I'm going to sell all these wheels because everybody wants wheels. And you know, it's, it's a huge market, you know, multi-billion dollar industry. And I learned a lot of value in that because I would initially sell all the brands mm -hmm. and there are some brands that I would call inexpensive wheels. You know, they're the thousand dollars and less a set market. You make very little profit on those. You can probably make 50 to 60 bucks because everybody's fighting for the lowest price and they're price shopping. Those, those wheels they are off the shelf. They have a part number. You got a hundred vendors selling them and they're just beating each other up on price. Somebody's got stagnant inventory and they blow that stuff out even below cost just to get rid of them. So I, you know, you're going to compete against those people. And also the people that spend the least demand the most people that are being cheap, looking for the cheapest price and haggling you over stuff. They're going to be the most demanding customers. They're going to open the box and find a speck of sand in the finish and go, Oh, this wheel is not perfect. Like, dude, that is literally the cheapest wheels I sell. And you're like being the pickiest customer I've ever seen. You get that because I, I don't know why, it's just how it is. So it takes the same amount of effort for me to sell a $6,000 set of wheels as it takes to sell a $600 set of wheels. Mm -hmm. But I make probably two, two to 2,500 bucks or so on that expensive set versus 50 bucks on the cheap set. So if you can think about this, go sell something, but sell expensive things with high margins and build a business around that because then you're working less and making a whole lot more. I mean, I get a lot of friends that want to get into the apparel business. I want to build a t-shirt and they, hey, you know what? You can be highly successful doing that, but you don't understand that it's not about selling t-shirts. It's about building a community, a mantra, something that people want to be a bigger part of something than themselves. That's why they buy the t-shirt. They don't buy the t-shirt because the logo design looks cool. They want to feel like they're part of something. They want to see somebody like on the other side of the street wearing that shirt and go, what's up, man? And like, we're family. Like they just became best friends because they're representing something that they're wearing and that makes them feel empowered. And, you know, most people just like, oh, I'm going to go hire a designer, make t-shirts. Like, you know how many t-shirts you would have to sell at five, $10 profit to equal one, one email on a $6,000 set of wheels. A whole lot. You'd have to sell thousands and thousands of t-shirts to make one sale that I can make in about 10 minutes. Right. Right. So on. I think about how do I scale? How do I get massive customers mm -hmm. or selling very expensive things to more people? That's key. And I hope a lot of people are taking note on that too, because he said a lot of valuable things. And I'm over here mentally trying to gather some ideas for myself because I'm in the space too, of just being online, selling products and different things. So I totally relate and understand. And uh, I know I don't have you long. I only got you for a limited amount of time, uh, but I do want to kick it off with one last question. And the question really, it, it kind of plays in the, if you guys are not, I know a lot of people are listening to this, obviously through audio, but some people are going to go to YouTube and people live there too. He got a cool the graphic in the background to say 365 driven. So if you guys are listening to this on the podcast, definitely go to YouTube and check it out. This, this conversation has been amazing. But I want to ask you about that. And this, this is a cool spin. So follow me here, right? So it's 365 driven. 
And my question is, since you are the side hustle millionaire, what keeps you driven now, given all of your success, given all your accolades, like what wakes you up and continues to push you? Purpose, man. It's purpose. And, and, I, and I'll tell you the story because I love telling these stories because that's how people remember, right? Mm -hmm. 2015, I was working in oil and gas and there was an industry downturn and me and my entire project team, we got laid off as soon as we finished our projects. Mm -hmm. And that's common. About every seven, eight years it's happened to me. So I wasn't like devastated, but it really started to make me think, you know, do I want to go back? I was in my forties at that point, And I realized that the money that I was earning, which is multiple six figures, that there's fewer and fewer seats at that level. So you end up unemployed for six to eight months, a lot of times until another seat comes around. Right. And so I started saying, so I'm going to have some time down. I know I'm going to have some downtime. So do I really want to go back? And during that, I actually was in an automotive accident. I raced cars, right? At the drag strip this time. I, I road race, I drag race. And I was driving a shop's twin turbo Dodge Viper. We were trying to get it in the nine second zone for the first time for a, that generation of Viper, you know, the Gen 5s. And you know, I've got another Viper. I've got a couple of Vipers myself. One of them is 1200 horsepower. So I'm very comfortable in those kind of cars. This one was only a thousand horsepower. So it was slower, right? And you know, so they threw me the keys and it was like a Hail Mary pass. We just turned up the boost a little bit and try to go make a number. And, you know, at the top of third gear, around 130 miles per hour, something in the rear suspension broke. And what happened is the car started getting out of line a little bit, but I thought I could still save it because I could see the finish line. I wasn't that far away. And as I was trying to keep the car straight, it started moving to the right wall. I was in the right lane. It was moving to the right wall. And then it, I was just trying to keep it off, but the rear wheel was steering for me. I didn't understand this. You know, I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe it was a traction issue. And so it starts grazing down that wall. And now I'm feeling like, you know, like a disappointment and anger at myself because I damaged somebody else's very expensive car. And so I said, well, if that's worse of it, no problem. I'm going to sort of slow down and come off of this wall because it was under control at that point. And as soon as I came off that wall, that rear wheel kicked back out, like kind of like pushing a shopping cart backwards, you don't have the control. <laughs> And now I'm going hard left, looking at a concrete wall. I'm steering straight. The car's going hard left. And in that moment, I thought I was going to die because it's bad odds riding in a two-door sports car, looking at a concrete wall at 130 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's going to hit the side that I'm on, right? And, mm -hmm. and I remember looking at the wall thinking, and the first thing I, I said was, well, here I go. Mm -hmm. And the weirdest moment occurred, man, is that I felt an overwhelming sense of peacefulness. I was not scared. I didn't have my life flash before my eyes or anything fancy like that. I just, I just remember feeling warm and like peaceful, like whatever happens is going to happen. And I said, well, here I go. And obviously, you know, impact happens, the airbags deploy and it's nighttime and the lights are flashing and all this terrible noises and the cars coming to coming to pieces. And I just remember having my eyes shut thinking, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Because I know from training and experiences that we usually die in a fire rather than the impact because we conk out or pass out and like fire goes up and you're dead. So I just remember like impact happens, stay awake, stay awake. I didn't know if I was injured or anything. And, you know, a car finally comes to a rest. It seemed like an eternity and I had to pry the door open because it caved in from the fender on that side. And, and I got out and I just felt really calm, just like I'd felt that peaceful moment. And the paramedic, the ambulance, you know, on site, she inspected me and looking around and, and she's asking me questions to make sure I didn't have a concussion. And I, I was really clear on that moment. I feel really calm. And, and, and then she, she said that she goes, you know, 
people crash out here all the time. Can I tell you something? I'm like, well, crap, what's she going to say? My ribs sticking out my back or, you know, what's wrong? You know, because the way she said it, I was kind of like, oh, crap, here, here it comes. Right. And she just, I just said, you're remarkably calm for someone who's been in a major accident. Like you don't have the adrenaline shakes. Mm -hmm. Your heart rate is, is stable. You're asking, you're answering all the questions properly. Like there's no signs of like panic, right. Or, or like having gone through a some kind of issue like that. And I said, you're right. I, I feel really calm right now. And, you know, my friend drove me home just in case, you know, you know, there's unseen injuries and, and the whole time I'm driving home and it was late at night by then it's probably like 1130. And I was just thinking to myself, what if I would have died? Like I thought I was supposed to die right there. What if I would have died? And then what if I would have died, how would I have been remembered? That started to creep into my head. And that's when I started to really think about my purpose, you know, what am I, why am I, I must be here for a reason. I didn't have any major injuries. I was sore for a few days, no major injuries, but I just started thinking about how would I remember? And I started thinking about to my friends who had passed away, how were they remembered? You know, the people that I consider that were like on the same level and things like that, how are they remembered? And it was always the same. So-and-so was a nice guy. So-and-so had cool cars, you know, very superficial things, but they're, they're not bad, but it's not, it's not like saying a lot, right? And not to take away from those people that passed like that, but it, for me, it was a punch to the face that, no, I don't want to be remembered as rich guy with cool cars that's gone too soon. I don't. That's, that's, I've, I've helped so many people privately that I knew that that's who I've always been. I've always been a mentor. I've always been a teacher. And I just did it privately because I was too scared to put myself out there and share my words and step into my own spotlight. And so that's when I decided I'm going to write a book. Because again, that was a way to get my message out there without jumping into the spotlight, right? Well, that all changed when, you know, my editor's like, this is going to be a good book that people are going to probably want to interview you. And I was like, oh, shit, like, I need to become the right person, right? I need to be, I need to, I need to step it up. So when people do interview me, because I might be on TV and I might be on the radio, I might be on podcasts. And I, I did all that, like I mentioned, I, and took the speaking lessons and I, and I worked really hard and I improved. And man, if you see my earliest videos, I was, I'm not the same person physically, mentally, or anything. I, I became the character that I needed to be. The person that was always inside me had to come out. And that's what I do now. So I said, the, the best way for me to impact this world is to teach people business and confidence, two things that I've learned and I've shown and I've had the results of because, you know, when you think about your purpose, to me, it's like most people answer that question, well, I need to provide for my kids. I need to provide for my family. And you know what? That's an honorable way to respond to something that's way below your potential. That's the truth. Because your family, your kids, that's your duty. That's not your purpose. That's not your purpose. It's to facilitate their potential. And only by doing that, you have to go pursue your own potential. So when I die, I want to have people say he impacted millions of people, but he had some cool cars and he raced too, right? I mean, but the impact part was missing. The legacy part was missing. And that's what I try to teach people to go chase nowadays. Because if you've got a kid, especially if you're a parent, how are you supposed to tell your kids to go chase their dreams and do what they can and chase their potential if they don't watch mom or dad doing that for themselves? If you're not leading by example, they're watching your example. They're not hearing your words. So you have to go chase your potential in order for them to believe that's possible for them. Boom. And we're going to leave it right there. <laughs> My God, Tony, man, I really appreciate you, man, for taking time out of your day to do this and hop on the podcast. That's, 
it's been uh, an extraordinary conversation. I know we can probably go on for another hour or two for sure. Just like a, a genuine connection, like it, it's not forced, you know. So uh, again, I really do appreciate it. I hope a lot of people in my audience too are able to take away from this as much as I have. Um, it, it's been an honor, man, to just share this time with you. And listen, I, I would love for people to know where they can find you, where they can stalk you, right? Where they can contact you just to so, uh, show love and support, especially just tuning into this, this podcast. So uh, what's the best way to uh, link up with you? I appreciate that opportunity. My my website is 365driven.com. And from there, you'll find my book and my podcast, which is also called 365driven. And we'll be hanging out on the clubhouse, on Instagram, on Facebook, and, and LinkedIn. Those are the primary places I hang out on. So awesome. happy to hear you. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, listen, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, do us a quick favor. Hop over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating review, and show some love to Tony, man. He came out all the way from Houston, right? You're still in Houston? Yeah, he's still in Houston, guys. So if you're in Houston, go go check him out. If not, show some love on his Instagram, social media, tap into the iTunes. Check out his podcast as well. He has a podcast that's been phenomenal. I'm on there as well, along with a lot of other guests. So make sure you guys tune in, check him out, and uh, listen. Tony, again, man, it's been an honor. I appreciate you for coming on. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. And it's been fun. And I can't wait to hang out with more with you, man. Likewise, likewise. So until next time, guys, much love, peace and blessings. And that's the show. Cool. How you feel about it, man? Good stuff, man. Yeah. Good questions. I like anytime you lead into stories. That's why I like dealing with the podcasters because you guys know that you set up stories pretty well. And I actually do have this last little part of the show. This is something I like to do. It's pretty cool. It's like yep. a quick Q and A. So cool. uh, I just give some insight to people. So when I ask the question, first thing to come to mind, you know, just blurt it out. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. So uh, what's one thing people don't know about you? I met my wife in dance class. Really? Dance class. What, what what kind of dance were you guys doing? What kind of Western dance? ballroom dancing. So the waltz and two step and the polka. Okay, nice. I have no idea about the last one. <laughs> <laughs> it's country dancing. Yeah, here in Texas, right? Love it. Love it. Okay. Now, what is your dream car? And have you already bought it? Well, I would say that I've got several cars, but my favorite's always going to be the 1969 Camaro because that was the first car I owned and bought it on McDonald's and mowing yard money. And I've had several since then. And they've, I've put a couple of them on covers of major magazines by building them to that level. Wow. Wow. All right. Nice. All right. Last question. You ready? What is one question you wished I would have asked you? Oh, man, that's that's a that's a tough question. <laughs> I really I don't have an answer to that one, to be honest, because I've probably been asked every question known to man by now. Yeah. So I really you got me off guard on that one. <laughs> I, I don't have an answer for that one. It's all right. It's all good. It's all good. Yo, tuning back into the podcast, gang. Just want to say thank you so much for just rocking with us. We really appreciate each and every one of you, again, for hitting that play button. And I hope you enjoy this segment just as much as I enjoy creating it with my guy, Tony Wiley, man. He's amazing. So make sure you guys go check him out on his podcast. Check out his website. I will have all that information down below in the description. And also, it would mean the world to me. If you went over to Apple Podcasts, left a five-star rating and review, I would love to hear your thoughts because this will go a long way for the show and it will actually allow me to continue to bring on special guests like Tony and also I want to throw out there if you haven't already be sure to follow me on Instagram at DeAndre underscore Evans that's D-A-N-D-R-E 
underscore E-V-A-N-S. Let me know what you thought. I would love to connect with as many of you as possible to show love uh, just because you guys have been showing me love. So, and again, I just want to shout out my guy, Tony Watley. Make sure you guys tap into him. Make sure you guys hit him up. Let him know where you listen to him at. Let him know that you're coming from the Level Up Daily Gang. And listen, until next time, guys, much love, peace, and blessings.